You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us today for this Viva podcast. Today we'll be discussing both the challenges and opportunities associated with bioactive and biomimetic dentistry. We will also consider clinical techniques, relevant scientific research, and future developments in bioactive and biomimetic materials. Our guest today is Larry Clark. He's the Director of Clinical Affairs and Marketing at PulpDent. Larry has authored publications and lectured extensively on dental materials and was the first non-dentist, non-dental lab member inducted into the American Society for Dental Aesthetics. Larry, thanks for coming back and joining us on Dental Talk. Thank you, Phil. It's great to be here. So how much awareness is there of bioactivity and biomimicry in dental industry today? In comparison to what it was five years ago, I would say we're about 25% along the way to creating full awareness. As much as we like to think of, you know, bioactivity is a buzzword, um, you know, as far as it getting down to the average practice around the country, I would say we still have a long ways to go. Um, Especially, maybe there's awareness to the term, but not necessarily an awareness or an understanding, if you will, to what these materials, what they actually mean to the patient and to the dentist. So I think there's a lot of work yet to be done. Um, I, I was just at a conference in Europe talking about this um, because there's a huge concern in the European community that bioactivity is a buzzword and not uh, understood as a reality and what it can do. So there, I think you're going to see very high-level educators from universities around the world starting to drop down a notch, if you will, and start educating key opinion leaders that we commonly see at meetings and also working more uh, hand-in-glove with the manufacturers as well to uh, increase the education and the awareness. I so, think it's good. I'm very excited to embrace education in this. Yeah, and uh, your knowledge is extensive on this on this topic. You've been living and working and dreaming bioactivity for, what, almost 10 years now yeah. in that range. Yes, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, so uh, everybody's got their thing, Larry. You've got bioactivity. Hats off to you. We need it. <laughs> we we need some good stuff in the industry, uh, in the profession. And and based on what I've been hearing about bioactive materials, it's just so logical. It makes so much sense. And as you said, attacks the, the most important failure points of a restoration, leakage and biofilm. Um, you know, that's that's the goal. That's what we as clinicians are, are striving to do is to put a restoration in there that lasts as long as possible and serves the patient the best way. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what these products are designed to do. So what research is there to support bioactive materials? Uh, not enough in the last few years. More is coming. And, I've, and I, it's probably not the answer you might have expected, but you know, one of the, the pro, one of the issues you run into whenever you do something uh, disruptive, and many people considered what we did disruptive. And, you know, from one standpoint, you can be really happy about that. And another standpoint, it creates problems all over the place. And in research, it did. Because when you do something that's out of the ordinary in terms of it's not like a composite, it's not like a glass ionomer, then how do you test it if everybody is using pretty much the same testing mechanisms, you know, to stay within uh, ISO or whatever the uh, accepted protocols are. 
you know, so what's happened is, and this is something that's been happening over the last five years, is research is now realizing not just that you have to test these materials differently, but it's giving them an ideas on how to actually do testing that's more in line with in vivo, which is very exciting because, you know, much of the testing that's done in research has nothing to do with what clinical results <laughs> may be. There's lots of arguments going on around the world about this right now. And so what research is there to support it? Well, there's a research about appetite formation, for example, which is important to the exterior side of the restoration. So crown margins and what's forming on the surface of these bioactive restorations. Are we nucleating calcium and phosphate and actually reinforcing? Are we also at the same time not allowing biofilm to form very readily, which is what has been shown from the University of Oregon, that biofilm has difficulty forming a, a strong attachment to the active materials and looks like it could be easily removed with maybe simple toothbrushing. So that's another aspect of research that's happening that nobody was thinking about before. Does that have anything to do with bioactivity? Well, you know, <laughs> this is what's happening. You know, everybody's rushing to either focus on mineralization, appetite formation, biofilm, defeating biofilm in some way, or at least uh, dissuading it from being attached. These are all things we're all trying to deal with. And the research community has uh, certainly uh, not been left out of this. There's been a lot of surprises in the research. You know, because trying to simply measure fluoride release in a beaker of deionized water is quite simple. But you put those same materials in an atmosphere that's like the oral environment with enzymes and proteins and pH adjusting and so on and so forth, materials don't perform quite the same. So while all of this uh, efficacy of bioactivity has been coming along, everybody's saying, starting to ask more questions and realizing we could do better. And this is good news for the industry as far as I'm concerned, uh, because now we're looking, we're trying to make things more like what we would hopefully experience in the oral environment and have better predictors. So the support is there all around the world for these materials. Now the question is, how do we readjust or how do we adjust to testing these and what's important. And so for some people, uh, the research is going to focus at the dentin interface of the restorative material. Some people is going to focus on uh, the margins, external margins. For some, it's going to be about biofilm. For some, it's going to be about being bactericidal or bacteriostatic. It's an exciting time, to be honest. So, and I think also with regulatory um, changes that are coming around the world, you're going to see more clinical testing done. And I think um, some of the regulations I'm hearing about from Europe, I mean, uh, are going to be quite extensive in the, with these new materials. There's always costs associated with these things. We're going to do all we can to make sure that these materials that we're going to be advocating for work even better than maybe we could have imagined. Mm -hmm. Again, the patient is, is the focus. Yeah. Now, these materials that Pulpten is selling, are they manufactured in the United States or abroad? They're manufactured right here in Watertown, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. You obviously have done internal research 
you have to do what they call proof of concept first. For example, there's many people in the world that don't believe a, a resin can be bioactive. So we have to do proof of concept so that you can prove to uh, others, you know, that no, the, you can achieve the same results with resins that you can with bioglass or with um, minerals themselves like calcium and phosphate. Mm -hmm. So how does the yeah. clinical technique for bioactive materials compared to traditional materials? Are there any differences in the technique? Well, there are right now because particularly in the restorative material, we, um, we came to market with a dispenser, uh, like a small pistol, to dispense the dual care materials into the tooth because to just have a plunger on a double barrel syringe, the viscosities were so stiff that um, many people that we uh, did focus groups with couldn't, uh, especially when the material was low in volume, it was, they were having difficulty dispensing it. So the dispenser was employed and for us, it was the last thing we wanted to do, but it created a stumbling block. But in terms of how it uh, affects handling, if you talk to certain pediatric dentists, for example, it may be uh, it may be an encumbrance to working in a child's mouth. Most of the GPs that we work with don't uh, find the dispenser a problem. They they look more at the flowability of the material and how do they make it work fast uh, for them and efficiently. So we sell a lot to um, DSOs. We sell to big community hospitals all around the country, large pediatric community, of course, and largely because they find the material to be very quick and easy to use. So I mentioned earlier in another podcast that sometimes it's not easy for clinicians to go from a flow, you know, work just with a flowable type material, and oftentimes they want a more viscous material. But, you know, when you, <laughs> once you practice with this material a little bit, even though it's a high viscosity flowable, you can make it do anything. And so it's really up to you and your up to the clinician's creativity, if you will, and willingness to see it work. Um, you know, to really bring it on home. We look at the uh, the practices that we primarily sell to, and uh, it's interesting. There are a lot of high-volume practices, and we're assuming uh, <laughs> and they're very happy, and they tell us that they're very efficient materials to use, and there's cost savings. How does the price compare to traditional materials? Um, in terms of uh, composite, how it compares to composite, um, the material's a little less expensive, uh, maybe 10 to 15%, depending on what dealer you purchase from. And then uh, in terms of glass ionomer, it'd be about 10% more expensive than a glass ionomer, because in our opinion, our feeling is it does more than a glass ionomer. Um, so we charge a little bit more for it. So from a price point, it's actually quite competitive. And the aesthetic value of, of these materials, are they noticeably different than a traditional aesthetic composite? I'll say no with a qualification. You know, I'm involved in a lot of aesthetic groups. Uh, I don't know that I would take Activa to the AACD meeting <laughs> or to Style Italiano for that matter. But I've seen it in both those sites uh, used underneath composites <laughs> that they want to use for the aesthetic values. But I can say that 85 to 90 percent of the time, Activa will suit uh, every need aesthetically. Mm -hmm. It has uh, an un 
uncanny, because of the calcium and phosphate content, it actually wants to take on the color of the surrounding dentition. And so, the, you know, I, I've had many clinicians call up and they say, you know, I can see the margins when I place it, but like three months later on recall, they're gone. And so we think that has a lot to do with, again, appetite formation, you know, mingling with the tooth because the calcium wants to be with other calciums and et cetera. I think it's uh, pretty magical, actually, how the material can can look. It, it will never polish like a microfill, but it'll have a, a nice uh, satin finish to it. And, of course, when it's wet, you know, it doesn't look any different from any of the best uh, polishes. And you can use anything to polish it. So it's uh, it's pretty... You know, it's easy to accommodate in the practice. There's no additional or special materials required. It works with every bonding agent on the market. Um, it bonds to every other material on the market. <laughs> so it's pretty uh, universal in, in many respects. Yeah, and, and based on all those features uh, and benefits, um, and then you add in the additional lifespan that you're going to get out of that restoration, it, it certainly seems like... Uh, a product that should be looked at. What is the future of bioactive and biomimetic materials right now, Larry, in the next two to three years? Well, I think the future is exciting, and I'm really excited for it. I, you know, I'm a strange guy. I've been asking for competitors for three and a half years, and the reason is is because it's no fun being the only company. And um, now that I see other companies coming along, especially the major manufacturers, and you could see the types of areas they're picking to, to go after, for example, like uh, bracket adhesives for orthodontics, you know, which are very commonly known to create watt spot lesions that can be eliminated by bioactive uh, materials. So there, I'm seeing movement in orthodontics, crown and bridge, endodontics, even more developments for endodontics. And then, of course, restorative dentistry is going to just continue to grow um, because I think uh, from what I'm hearing around the world, this is the future. Bioactivity and materials that have these characteristics, uh, I think, are I, I definitely believe they're the future, and so do most of the research community, for that matter. How, how are they used in endodontics? These materials or um, or the current MTAs? No, the, 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 these materials. I can only talk about the creativity of dentists, not off-label. <laughs> but uh, off-label applications of what I've seen in five years with Activa range all over the place, including uh, endodontics. Mm -hmm. There's clinicians. There's clinicians in Europe that are using Activa, uh, current Activa, very much like any uh, in any circumstance they use MTA. Using it as a retrograde filling. Yes, that's one application. There's a number. I mean, we've seen literally dozens of cases of vertical root fractures healed over time. And uh, we we don't understand it. We didn't do research in this regard. We just know that uh, dentists are creative and dentists are always trying to solve problems and they're going to pick whatever they can find, you know, they think will help them. Right. And this is something I love about dentists, actually. <laughs> they're well, well, they're going to solve that problem. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were taught vertical root fractures just literally had no chance. But in my endo program, um, later on, we had a couple of 
real brilliant thinkers that were teaching all the concepts of, uh, you know, salvaging teeth before we extract them, anything you can do before an extraction. And that's, I think, the, where they're going with these bioactive materials as far as a vertical root fracture, depending on how far the fracture goes down and, and so forth. Um, yeah. But normally, you know, a deep vertical root fracture past the frication doesn't have much of much hope. But um, no, but I, I could see how these materials might be able to keep the tooth for some period of time, if not indefinitely, uh, depending on the occlusion and the, and the case in general. But I was just curious as an endodontist retired how some of the endodontists were using it. <laughs> Anything else you want to add, uh, Larry, before we wrap up this podcast? This was excellent. This covered a lot of very good information about the materials and all the stuff that surrounds them, clinical aspects of it and the research and, and so forth. Um, any other input that you have other than to tell everybody to go out and purchase Activa? Although you, you're a soft seller. So you're actually a soft salesman. So I don't expect that from you. Yeah. The way you've been talking, it's, you're happy to sell your competitors' products. But uh, it, well. it, it's, it's very admirable, actually. It's an admirable trait, but uh, it gives you credibility for well. sure. <laughs> well, pulp dents are different. You know, we're family owned and operated. We don't play the game like everybody else, which sometimes is good. You know, we just care. You know, we're really trying to solve what we think is a big issue uh, around the world. And we don't care if we get the glory for it or not, because, you know, it's not about us. It's really about helping patients. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. And um, I know many of your customers around the world really enjoy working with pulp tent. And, um, it's all based on your company culture, as you've described it so well. And uh, in the world of big business, it's hard to come by companies that have that kind of outlook where it's not all profit driven. There's a lot of integrity in your company, and we, we appreciate having you on the program to share the exciting developments of uh, your products, Activa, and, and your other bioactivity products that are coming out shortly. So thanks for joining us again on this podcast, Larry, and uh, we'll see you on a future one. Thank you, Phil. I sure appreciate it. It's been wonderful.